Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. A couple years ago, and we've had Jonathan Von Tobel on since then, but a couple years ago we had JVT on, who is a senior NBA betting analyst for VEASAN Live, hosts as well, uh, does a bunch of stuff, with the NBA, we had, and JVT, I'm sure you remember this, we had you on to preview the 2020 postseason, and I took offense and was bothered that you picked the Hawks to beat my Knicks. Meanwhile, you absolutely nailed that series, saying that the numbers were saying that the Knicks, were, their luck would run out, they weren't good defensively against the three, all that stuff. So I was like, you know what, I got to have JVT on. The Knicks are back in the postseason ahead of this series and I want to go around the league with you as well. So, but you remember that when you picked the Hawks over the Knicks a couple of years ago? Uh, yeah, I, I do, I do actually. I remember every win. You don't remember every loss. You remember every win. No, <laughs> I, I, I've got a good memory. So I remember coming on for you guys, and that was uh, a little bit later at night too for me. I think I stayed up till like one or two in the morning to do that hit with you. Yes, very much so. I mean, I mean that's why it was nice to have you on at a decent hour tonight, and I appreciate you taking the time as we're doing the evenings here as opposed to the overnight. All right, well, educate me, JVT, because. I'm into the Knicks, as you know, but around the league, and I know we just saw the Bulls win their playing game, so they are in. But I want yeah. you to give us some insight here as to what's going on around the league. We'll, we'll go through quickly if we can, or as quickly as you know, we, we can here over each series. Um, is there, I mean, do you think any of these playing teams could do any damage against the top two seeds in each conference? Let's start with that while we're in the middle of these playing games. Yeah, you know, I, so I, I'm actually going to go back later tonight and tomorrow morning and rewatch some of the the Hawks Celtics series in the regular season. But I so I can't help but think that I, I, when you say do damage, like I think the Hawks can win maybe a, a game or two against Boston. I, they they finally put everything together against Miami, right? They, they're a team that should be better than their record. Um, they have the personnel, they have the talent, they have Trey Young, they have Dejounte Murray, they've got a bunch of big bodied wings, they have depth in the front court. We saw yesterday the. Onyeka Okongwu swallowing Bam out of a hole when he met him at the rim for one of those blocks. Like, there's a lot of talent on this Hawks roster. And I think one of the big differences, too, is you're starting to kind of see the fingerprints of Quinn Snyder with this team. You know, one of the big deals yesterday was they kept running, like, multiple flip screens for, for Trey Young so he would actually get some space there so he could get to the middle of the floor, so he could get to his floater. He had his best game, I would argue, right as a Hawk against Miami. They'd played 13 times in the last year. And that was the best performance he had against them. So, like, I don't know if they're going to upset Boston, but when you're looking at, like, Hawks plus two and a half games at a plus price, right, things like that, I think those are worth looking at in terms of at least a a play-in team that could do some damage. And then the other side is, of course, the Lakers, right? Like, the front court injuries for the Memphis Grizzlies are immense. When you have Brandon Clark and Steven Adams not available, 
Now, all of a sudden, the onus is on Jaron Jackson Jr. to stay on the floor and defend at a really high level. And I think he can do one of those two things, right? He can defend at a really high level. He's probably going to win Defensive Player of the Year for a reason. But he's got a foul problem. He averages 3.4 personal fouls per game. In the series against the Lakers in the regular season, he averaged five per game. So if he can't stay on the floor, well, now all of a sudden you're talking about a really small front court for the Memphis Grizzlies taking on LeBron James and Anthony Davis and what they have there. I definitely think the Lakers could do some damage there. So I, I think I'd look at the two seven seeds as the most likely candidate to potentially do some of that damage that you're referring to against the top two seeds. I want to ask you a couple questions about some individuals before we get back to the series yep. and the postseason matchups. Trey Young, is there any? Is it realistic to think he might be traded? And if so, what would be realistic to where could be a landing spot for Trey Young? I, I feel like no, right? Like it's kind of like it's kind of it's, it's a little bit more extreme. I think there's probably a little bit more heat with Trey Young than there is with Luka Doncic, and they're always going to be tied at the hip. But Young, of course, has gone through a couple of coaches and is kind of getting a little bit of a, a reputation there for Atlanta. But I, I, but he is a very good player and he has superstar potential. So I think if you're a team like Atlanta, you're doing as much as possible to kind of hang on to him. And as I mentioned, like you've got a pretty solid core that you're working with. You need to tweak. You need to make it a little bit better. So I would say it's pre- I would say it's really unlikely that Atlanta moves on Trey Young. I'd be very surprised if they do. They'll they'll move on from Nate McMillan's son, who he was screaming at on the sideline yesterday, quicker than they'll move on from Trey Young for sure. And how about you know I'm watching this playing game now with the Thunder and the Pelicans. Yeah. I mean, dude, Zion. I mean, what the what's this guy's issue? He's never healthy. Here are the Pelicans trying to battle for a postseason spot, and again, Zion's not available. I mean, is is it? Is this what Zion is, or can we ever expect to see him play and be healthy consistently? You hope that he can be healthy and, and be consistent. I mean, when, he, when he's on the court, he's great. And that press conference he had the other day was really weird during shoot-around. I don't know how much you watched of it where he was referring to himself as a third person. And hmm. I, I think like the big takeaway was, as he kind of talked about there, it seems like he doesn't want to really test the hamstring like he's nervous. You know, He talked about not feeling like he could do the same actions uh, on the hamstring that he believes, and until he believes that he could do it, then he's not going to be out there. So, look, maybe the Pelicans just don't make it into the tournament, and he eventually just heals over the offseason. He comes back next year. He's going to be perfectly fine, and we never talk about this. But, you know, Ben Simmons is getting thrown around the name because it is somewhat similar, right? As far as we know, in the way that Zion spoke the other day, he's actually healthy, like physically healthy. It's just whether or not, to use his own words, he feels like Zion. So whatever that means is, is kind of odd to come out and talk about. So we'll see. Look, mental health is an important thing. And if the guy's not mentally there, then you want him to be mentally there. And if he feels like he can't use the hamstring to the best of his ability and he feels like he's going to aggravate it again like he did a couple of months ago, then you'd rather he be healthy. But it is odd that he would come out or the team would let him come out, right, and say, oh, I'm healthy. I'm just not ready because that paints this picture and you're going to ask questions about what's going on with him. So I, I, I would say, look, like – Let's give it one more offseason. Let's see what he comes out like last and next year and see what happens or if he comes back in the postseason. But it, we are, I think, getting into that territory where it's starting to ask questions about, okay, like what's going to happen here with him? Because it's starting to go down the path of Ben Simmons, and that's not one that you really want because he was a third-string center at the end of the year for Brooklyn and ultimately got shut down. Yeah, that, that is not one guy that you want to have your name uh, being linked with at all or right now with the way that it's gone for Ben Simmons. All right, now I know you said the seven seeds are the one to watch here. Hear me out, because I'm a big law of averages guy. Thunder win tonight, beat the Pelicans, send them home. Thunder beat the T-Wolves. Nuggets, Thunder. Because when I think of one versus eight, and I know it was different with the five-game series, but JVT, you know I'm going with this. I think of one versus eight. I think of Dikembe Mutombo holding that ball on the floor, knocking off Sean Camp and the Sonics at the time. 
Thunder were born from the Sonics. Can we get a little Thunder beating the Nuggets in a possible 8-1 matchup for a little revenge years later? So how about this? I will, I'll kind of go along your path, and I'll give you some numbers that I think would, would help that case, right? The Denver Nuggets come into this postseason. They are 23rd in defensive efficiency when it comes to guarding in transition. They give up 129.8 points per 100 plays in transition. It's according to cleaning the glass and off of live rebounds. So when teams are just ripping rebounds and running against them, they're 28. Their defensive rating is 126.6. Well, you know who loves to run? The Oklahoma City Thunder. They love to run, and they run a lot. Mm. And I would say that, to your point about maybe sparking an upset here, or at least pushing Denver, uh, you know, as much as an eight seed, or as much as we've seen an eight seed recently, we'll put it that way, the Thunder actually have the ability to, I think, do it. Like, one of the things in one of the angles that I took down the home stretch here of the NBA season was betting against Denver whenever they were taking on teams that like to get out in transition. And there were some really ugly matchups for them, right? The Memphis Grizzlies game where they went to Memphis got absolutely smoked by the by the Grizzlies. That comes to recent mind. So I would say I don't think the Thunder are completely dead. I think that's a team that would really bother Denver quite a bit. So, you know, calling for the outright upset, I kind of hope. I've got $10 on a 500-1 ticket on the Oklahoma City Thunder to win the NBA Finals. So I'd be down with it if they can move on to the next round. Um uh, but I, I think that it's not impossible, obviously, and I do think they have the archetype, the thunder, if they pull this off and get into the eighth seed, that they would be able to bother Denver quite a bit. I love it. Now I have something to root for, JVT. We're talking with Jonathan Von Tobel, host, senior NBA betting analyst for VEASAN. I'm, you know, I'm big into nostalgia. I was much bigger into the NBA back then when the Knicks were actually good in the 90s, and then who could forget that upset with Matumbo and the Nuggets upsetting the then Sonics, I think that will be a fun first-round matchup in an otherwise boring right 1-8. So are your thoughts on Denver, are they not, uh, and I know you're a big Clippers guy, uh, is Denver not a legit number one seed in the Western Conference? You don't look at them seriously, or are you just saying that that might be a bad matchup with the Thunder? Yeah, no, I think it's just a bad matchup with the Thunder, but I also just think like this Western Conference as a whole is just pretty wide open, right? So it's nothing against Denver specifically. I mean, look at that Memphis Lakers series that we talked about. Grizzlies are only like a dollar thirty, dollar forty favorite as a two seed against a seven. It, it kind of speaks to what the Western Conference looks like at this point right now, and the four seed is actually the favorite to come out of the conference. So it's just kind of a topsy turvy year for the West, and all of these teams are flawed, but Denver is flawed too. You know, they're 17th in overall defensive efficiency. When Aaron Gordon's not on the floor, their defensive numbers plummet even farther without him out there being able to help them defensively. There's not a lot of high-level on-ball defenders for this team. They give up 117.9 points per 100 possessions without Gordon. That's in the 26th percentile of of lineups. Like, that's that's very good. So, I think just like with Denver and all these other teams in the West, I I think they're all just flawed, and I think that's Denver. I, I wouldn't put, hey, Denver's not a true one seed. They are for one seed in the sense that the West has been kind of down this year, and, and they won that one seed. But I think them, just like every other team beneath them, has a clear flaw that you could point to that can be exposed and ultimately lead to their downfall. All right, so we've kind of covered Denver and the 1-8 matchup, whatever that may be, and the Grizzlies and Lakers. We touched on that uh, a little bit, although I may well, one on the Lakers. Do you think the Lakers could go on a run here? I, I think they can go on a run in that. I think they can beat Memphis, and then I think that they run up against it in the second round. I just... One of the things that really bothers me, and you kind of saw it with them in that game against Minnesota, is they're very reliant on getting to the free throw line. They make the third most free throws every 100 shot attempts. But outside of that, they're a very middling half-court offense. Over this span, since they revamped their roster, they're 23rd in half-court offensive efficiency. They don't shoot the ball particularly well. You saw that against Minnesota, too. And they don't shoot it very often. So that's not very good, right? To be pretty average in terms of your shooting, and you don't take that many shots, 
it just leads to some pretty disjointed offensive uh, nights. And you kind of saw that against the Timberwolves. So, well, I think they just match up really well with Memphis, and I think they can win that series. I think once you're talking about moving on and winning multiple series, whether it be against Denver in the next round or, uh, let's say, a potential Western Conference Finals against whoever it may be, I think that's a little bit of a tough matchup for the Los Angeles Lakers. So I would say they got life to move on, but I, I, they're definitely not one of the top four teams I would pick to win the Western Conference. All right. Point. Two more, two of the more intriguing matchups in the NBA's first round. Boy, I'll tell you, I'm fascinated, JVT, with the Kings. I mean, what an atmosphere. Even when the Knicks went in there in the regular season, it was an incredible atmosphere. I read somewhere their tickets are going for, I think, 500 bucks to get in. They have been tremendous, and they take on the Warriors in a first-round matchup. What do you think here? Kings have been the better team in a regular season, but is this one of those spots where you know the veteran Warriors put it together in the postseason? Man, I think the market – so, look, I think the Warriors deserve to be favored, but I think the market's got this wrong in favoring them to the degree at which they have them favored. To, to have them as minus 290 favorites, you know, for your audience, that's an implied probability of nearly 75%. So you're saying that a team that went 11-30 and 30 straight up, 13-28 and 28 against the spread away from home this season, has a 75% chance of winning a series in which they have to win at least one road game. Like, that's just – it's a really tough ask at that type of number. So, I look, I think the Kings are going to be very competitive because one of the things that held Golden State back this year, it's not just like the road, right? Like, they didn't go on the road and run into a bunch of loud crowds and think like, wow, this is tough, and lost a bunch of road games. They were the third worst road defense in the NBA this year. Only the Spurs and the Rockets were worse defensively on the road than the Golden State Warriors. That's not just changing when you go to take on the best offensive team in the NBA in their own building and one that, as you mentioned, is going to be extremely charged after a 16-year drought. So I think ultimately the, the Warriors are going to move on from this series. But I think it's going to be a lot tighter than the market would indicate. You can get like the Sacramento Kings if you want to get them at plus one and a half or two and a half games at reasonable prices. Uh, bet the series to go over five and a half games at about minus 160 or so. That's going to be, I think, a pretty good wager there too. I took a small piece of the Kings to win it outright. I just, I don't think you can just shake 41 games of a sample size that say that this team is going to struggle defensively on the road and just be like, ah, it's the Warriors. They're going to be fine. Like, there's something to that. That's that's a big enough sample size to tell us that there are some issues with this team defensively that are going to consist. Plus, I think people are disrespecting the Kings. JVT, i got to be honest with you, I had no idea that was the price. Oh, my goodness. I mean, the Kings are legit, and that place is going to be an impossible place to play. I know they're young and inexperienced, but, man, they have been good. I I would jump all over them for that price. Who knows how it's going to play out? And I get it, the Warriors, you know, the veteran team with all those guys, but... Man, I, for that price, I think I'm with you there. I would lean uh, toward placing uh, some money on the Kings. And how about the Suns and your Clippers, JVT? What do you think of this matchup here? So this is another one, again, where I, I think the market's just a little high. And you're starting to see some pushback on this, right? So the Suns opened up as high as minus 600. You've seen a little bit of a dip in that price. We're down to minus 550. And look, I, like, I understand anybody who thinks Phoenix is awesome, right? The numbers have been great. Durant with Devin Booker, those lineups are plus 18.4 per 100 possessions. They have an offensive rating of 124.7 when they share the floor. They've been fantastic. Their new starting lineup has a plus 15.5 net rating. Like, everything's really good when you look at some of those numbers. However, we're still talking about literally 547 possessions together, so it's an extremely small sample size, or eight games as we know. There are eight opponents. Three of them didn't make the play-in round. Three others are play-in teams, and two of them, Denver both times, didn't start Jokic in either game, and one of them they started, they rested everybody. So it's a small sample size of data, and it's a sample size of data against some really lesser competition. So I think the market's just kind of overflating the sense of how good the Suns can be. They are a good team, and I don't want to sell that short. And I also think the market is 
has not really paid attention to the Clippers kind of figuring things out post-Paul George. You know, Russell Westbrook and Kawhi Leonard on the floor together uh, since they kind of reconstructed everything. Without Paul George, we're talking about those lineups with a plus eight net rating or somewhere around there. Like, they've been really, really good, plus 8.7 specifically with Westbrook and Leonard on the floor. And that has been since they removed Marcus Morris from the rotation. He's not really playing for him anymore. So the Clippers are starting to figure things out. Terrence Mann and those bench units, they actually have a plus five net rating when they're on the floor together without Kawhi Leonard. So, like, the Clippers are slowly kind of starting to tweak things and doing things right, and they're getting used to playing without Paul George. And at some point, you could get Paul George back, which gives you two massive wing players. They're going to be able to switch a bunch of stuff defensively. They're going to have a size advantage along the perimeter against Phoenix and some of those smaller guards. And they have a little bit of a deeper bench. So, like, I put a little bet on the the Clippers to win the series outright. But for me, the bigger bet was Clippers plus two and a half games at minus 125. So essentially saying they're not going to get swept, they're not going to lose in five, and this series is going to go six or more games. And I, and I think there's a lot of value in that number because I think the market is a little too high on the Phoenix Suns. Yeah, I'm intrigued by both those series, the Kings and Warriors and the Suns and Clippers. Those are my two. Uh, hey, look, I get the Lakers and Grizzlies, but, man, those series, the 3-6 and the 4-5, should be fun to watch in the Western Conference. We're talking with Jonathan Von Tobel. He's a host, senior NBA betting analyst for uh, VEASAN Live, so check that out. Uh, at me, JVT, on Twitter. Let's go to the Eastern Conference, JVT. I mean, is it even worth discussing the Bucks, or we just expect to see them in the Eastern Conference Finals at the very least? Yeah, I, I think we're kind of expecting that, right? Like they, they're, they should have no problem with whoever their eight seed is going to be after Miami and Chicago play each other tomorrow, or excuse me, on Friday. Um, and then going on from there, whether it be Cleveland or whether it be New York, I, I think they match up well with either of those two teams, and they should be able to move on in about six games or so and, and await whoever's going to come out of what you would expect to be quite the brawl between Boston and Philadelphia. So I, I, nothing is impossible, so we'll put it in pencil, but I, I have a very firm grasp on the pencil putting Milwaukee into the Eastern Conference Finals. I'll save the Knicks and Cavs for last because that is the one I'm most intrigued by. How about the Sixers and Nets? I mean, you said it's going to be Celtics and Sixers, and I understand why. Is there any chance that either of those two teams get upset? You mentioned the Hawks a little bit have a chance. Is it more likely for the Hawks to beat the Celtics or the Nets to beat the Sixers in your mind? Oh, I think even though the series price would say that it's technically Brooklyn, I, I think it is the Hawks. It just because, like, when you look at Brooklyn, like, they, they first off, who's going to guard Joel Embiid? Because Nick Claxton's awesome. He's a great. He had a good defensive year. The kid gives up 65 pounds to Joel Embiid. Like, there's another, like, from a physical standpoint, that's just such a mismatch for Claxton to handle. And you go back and you watch, they played each other back on February 11th. And this was when the roster was kind of new. And so there's not, like, a lot to go off there. But when you watch that game, you go back, like they were sending doubles at Joel Embiid as often as they possibly could because there's nobody really to match up with them physically. And so if you're coming from there, I mean, if you're going to double Embiid, that means more space for Tyrese Maxey and James Harden to really operate. And they're really, of course, great off of the dribble can create. Like, I just think there's so many different mismatch opportunities for the 76ers to take advantage of. I find it really, really hard to believe that they're going to get upset here by the Brooklyn Nets. Now, I think there's a universe in which it happens, and what happens is Brooklyn, who has taken over 40% of their attempts from three with this new roster, that just kind of gets insanely hot over the course of a best of seven and kind of bombs them out. But I think that's really unlikely to take place over the course of an entire series. Could happen for one or two games, but I don't think that's going to manifest itself for an entire best of seven series. So I think it's really unlikely that the Nets would be able to pull that off. I'd still pick the Hawks as the more likely upset, albeit small in their own probability to beat the Celtics. And what about Celtics, Sixers? Who's got the better chance to knock off the Bucs? 
Man, you know, I so I've got look, I've got a future ticket on the 76ers from way back in like, you know, end of November. So I I really do believe in the 76ers team and I think from an actual matchup standpoint, I think they match up better with Milwaukee than the Celtics do. Mm. You know, I think they've got enough size to handle. I think they can throw some pieces at Giannis Antetokounmpo to help defend him and I think they really don't have a massive matchup for Joel Embiid outside of Brook Lopez. So I think there's some things there for the the 76ers to take advantage of. Uh, but I'll say this, man, the Phillies going to have their hands full with Boston. Like, as we know, they, they're, they were 0-3 before they barely got that win over the Celtics right before the end of the regular season. And that was one where I think was it J- Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown. One of the two actually didn't play in the game, and Robert Williams didn't either. So it was a shorthanded Celtics team. They needed everything to beat. I, I think they're going to have a tough time with Boston. So I, 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 we know that the favorite is going to be, at least for an Eastern Conference Finals matchup, Milwaukee and Boston, but if Joel Embiid has like a monster postseason in him, he's good enough to carry a team through multiple rounds. So I wouldn't be surprised. But I've got to, I've got it in pencil that it's going to be Boston and Milwaukee. All right, JVT. Now for the main event. And before we get to the next Cavs, I noticed your Twitter avatar is a picture of IQ. You care to explain why Emmanuel quickly is featured on your page, being the Clippers fan you are? Uh, so uh, about two months ago. So obviously Emmanuel quickly is up for potentially winning Sixth Man of the Year. And um, I was very actually adamant that, hey, man, look, like if you look at his first 30 games, he's only averaging nine points a game and under 40% shooting from the floor. I don't really think that's a strong enough resume for him to realistically win this award. Uh, but then, Sal, I, uh, I was going through my MGM account and uh, I had forgotten that back in October, I bet Emmanuel Cookley to win six <laughs> of the year, 35 to one. So I, I immediately changed my tune, and I was like, ah, oh, Quickly can totally win this thing. He's the guy. So I, it's a little bit of a, a facetious joke. I, I do hope he wins it because I found that ticket, but uh, I was, I'm being a little bit of a smartass. That's fantastic. You make it so you got so many tickets, you forget what you have. How could you forget you have IQ? <laughs> uh, it's a long season, man. Yeah. When you that stuff in October, you're going through, and trust me, you know, for anybody out there listening, there's also a couple of losers. I had to scroll by a Bone Thailand six-man-of-the-year ticket to get to a manual quickly, so there's a couple in there. But, uh, yeah, I was pleasantly surprised to find it. All right, so here we go. I, I'm very curious to see what you think here. The Knicks have only won one playoff series, one first-round series, in the last, like, 20-plus years, really since the 2000-2001 season when they ousted in the first round against the Raptors. That was during, you know, that was the end of the heydays for this franchise. It's been a few times since I think this is the sixth postseason appearance since that year and like I said just the one postseason win do the Knicks have a legitimate shot at another postseason series win I I think they do and especially if Julius Randle is going to be available to start right it does seem that it might be trending in that direction so you officially want him out there of course to have this this opportunity but Look, I think so. I went back and watched all four of these regular season matchups, and like, there's there's a lot to like about what the New York Knicks can bring to the table here in this matchup. Like, if you're talking about their ability to present, I think they have what six guys on this roster that have averaged double digit points for them compared to what four for the Cleveland Cavaliers. They have a much deeper bench. You know, we talk about Emmanuel quickly. Those lineups with Emmanuel quickly and Josh Hart have been out of this world when they're both on the floor without Brunson or Randall. They outscored their opponents by 10.8 points per 100 possessions. The bench outscored the Cavs bench in all four games that they played in the regular season. And then you just talk about the little intricate matchups, right? When they played in New York, Randall was playing so well in the first half that Cleveland had to put Jarrett Allen on him instead of Evan Mobley. So that worked because Jericho Sims started the game and Mitchell Robinson wasn't available. Well, you can't do that now if Randall's going to be out there because Robinson's going to eat Evan Mobley on the offensive glass alive. Like there's, I think there's so many little things that they can do pretty well. And the other part is, 
is Isaac Okoro healthy for Cleveland? Because he missed the last five games of the season, and he's their best perimeter defender who's going to take on Jalen Brunson. And if he's not available, well, that's Lamar Stevens. And Lamar Stevens is a fine defensive player, but he shoots 28% from three. Like, he's no threat. So the Knicks can play off of him. They can help off of him anytime they're on that side of the floor. I think there's a lot to like about the Knicks' chances here. So, again, I think it relies on Randall being available. But I think for sure, like, the bet that I made here was Knicks plus one and a half games in the series at minus 130. I think they're going to be able to be very competitive in this series. I think they have a chance to win it, too. Again, the caveat being that Randall's healthy and available at the start. But I'm kind of surprised at not only the market, but the media just kind of going, all right, let's chalk this up for when Cleveland's going to move on. I get Mitchell's been playing well, but I think the Knicks can do quite a bit to bother Cleveland. When you look at the Knicks, JVT, what do you think that they're missing to get to the next level? They've had the development now. I don't know what you felt about Brunson, but I didn't expect him to be this good. He's turned into a star. Randall returned to his all-star form. Uh, I know people knock R.J. Barrett for not taking that next step, and he's not a good shooter, but they have IQ who's developed. They have Quentin Grimes. Mitchell Robinson, as you've mentioned, Hart has been a great addition for this team. What do you look at with this Knicks team saying they, they're missing this to get to the next level? I mean, I think I would think it's two things. I think one is I, like I, I think Tibbs has got to talk to somebody about implementing a little bit of a better offensive system. Like they tend to get super ISO heavy, right? They they finished last in the regular season in assist rate, and you see it from time to time, and at least some volatile results, right? So when Julius Randle and Jalen Brunson are playing really well, well, this offense can look great. But when they're not, all of a sudden everything kind of sticks up and, and the offense looks really disjointed. They don't move the ball particularly well. And so it leads to some really down performances offensively. So kind of revamping this offense to at least implement a system that moves the ball around a little bit more, that shares it. It gets more catch-and-shoot opportunities. I think it would be really good for them. And I just think, look, while Julius, Rand- like, well, Julius Randle's a really good player and Jalen Brunson's a really good player, I think they're just still missing that like really dynamic wing piece that, that can create. I mean, you need a really good wing player to, to really succeed and thrive in the NBA. You could argue that Randall is kind of that, but he's not particularly that. And a guy who could just get from the wing, go north-south, score at all three levels, and do it with some effectiveness while being a connector. Like I think that's kind of what they're missing. That would be at the top of the list. But like you said, man, like Brunson's come over. He has been freaking awesome. He's been that guard that they've been waiting for for a really long time. And what the cool thing is, tying us back to the postseason, uh, he just went toe-to-toe with Donovan Mitchell in the postseason a year ago, and he was clearly the better guard and the better player. He's got some confidence coming in, but I think those two things would be at the top of the list for me. You trust um, Randall, assuming he's healthy? You trust him to get the job done in the postseason? Because last time we saw him, and I know you said, uh, I believe you were saying that the Knicks, you know, they were shooting or they weren't defending the three as well as everybody made it out to see, uh, made it out to be when they were playing the Hawks in that uh, first round series a couple years ago. And that came to fruition. They couldn't stop him. But the Knicks also couldn't score. I know they're a little bit better at that now with the different players that they have. But Randall is still their all star. Do you trust that Randall? could get the job done in the postseason when he failed back in 2020, his last appearance in the postseason? I, I think he can, and I, and I think it's because that Brunson's there, right? Because now all of a sudden, if the shots aren't falling, like that year, Randall was their guy, right? Like he was the dude that was their number one alpha guy who, who led them there to that point, had one most improved player that year because he was incredible at every area. You know, we kind of realized, too, like the shooting was a little fluky that year, too, at least in the rate, the, the rate that the three-point shots were going down. But now all of a sudden this year, while he's still their lead player, if the shots aren't falling, you can acquiesce to Jalen Brunson, who can really score on his own, who could take advantage of some pretty poor backcourt defenders in Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell. So I would say, yeah, like because the onus is not uh, as much on his shoulders as it was that year they made it and lost to the Atlanta Hawks, 
I, I think that makes your job easier if you're a star like Julius Randle. So I would say sure. Thank you, JVT. We appreciate your time, man. Enjoy the weekend. Enjoy the uh, postseason. And good luck with all those wagers that you got. We hope you cash some of those tickets. Appreciate it, man. Always good to talk to you. Thank you for having me. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.